today's Ag Spotlight episode is sponsored by Energrow. Energrow's oil seed pressing system helps farmers crush their feed costs. The easy way to make fresh, homegrown, high-quality meal plus expeller pressed oil right on the farm. The fully automated Turnkey Crush Pro is easy to set up and run 24-7. To learn more, go to energrow.ca. Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. Today I have two guests with me. First is negative, native of Bogota, Colombia, and attended the University of La Salle. He graduated from WKU with a major in agribusiness and ag- economics. He also graduated with a master's degree in animal science. His special interests are dairy sustainability, animal welfare, livestock management, dairy nutrition, uh, physiology of lactation and ag business management from De Laval. I'd like to welcome Global Head of Sustainability, uh, Fabian Bernal. And my other guest is from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. AEM is the leading organization in North America advancing construction and agriculture equipment manufacturers and the value chain partners in the global marketplace. He's a Wisconsin native that grew up on his family farm where he still helps raise hay and livestock today. His role with AEM is is, uh, to serve as the liaison for AEM's dairy manure management, specialty crops, and sprayer equipment groups. He also works with agriculture members to help address and solve various industry issues. I would like to welcome Director of Agriculture Services at AEM, Austin Gellings. So welcome, Austin and Fabian, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. So first of all... Great. So first of all, let's uh, let's talk about a, a bit about your backgrounds. Um, uh, Fabian, do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, my name is Fabian Bernal. I work as Global Head of Sustainability for the Laval, working mostly in the strategy, strategy development and the application of sustainable practices across the organization, from both, both from the industrial uh, point of view, but also the application at farm level. And how do we support farmers? with technology, innovation, services, education, and so much more. Um, my background, yeah, I, I grew up at a dairy farm. Uh, I am a farmer uh, today, and um, and I also deal with, firsthand, deal with activities and application of sustainability right here in my own farm in Kentucky, where I live with my family. Um, again, I, I work for a Swedish company called Dilaval, part of the Tetra Laval Group. And I've been involved in sustainability for near 12 years now. Awesome. And Austin? Yes, um, Austin Gellings, um, as you mentioned. Um, so at AEM here, um, really involved in everything that we do that's agricultural related. Um, we spend a lot of time really trying to promote technology as a part of that sustainability um, story and message um, across all sectors. You know, I, I work primarily in agriculture, but when you look at just equipment in general, whenever you talk about any type of sustainability practice, equipment plays a huge role in implementing those practices. Um, So that's a lot of what we do here um, at the association. Um, Similar to Fabian, um, I still still farm um, to this day on my family farm, Um, grew up there here in southeastern Wisconsin. So um, as Fabian mentioned, you know, it's it's great to be able to practice what we preach a little bit as well um, when we're telling these sustainability um, stories. Right, that's important, very important, and uh, and you've completed a study um, together with some partners uh, that addresses um, uh, the incredible advances 
in the dairy industry in the last few decades. So can you can you give me some in, insight on who was involved in the story and the background about you know why it was done really? Yeah, so this uh, this actually began quite quite a while ago. Um, so about two years ago, we actually released kind of the first version of this study, t- which was titled "The Environmental Benefits of Precision Ag Study," um, which aimed to do the same thing that this study did, just for with a row crop focus, focusing on things like variable rate technologies, um, you know, in a cornfield or, or something like that. Um, and we quantified the benefits associated with those technologies. Um, and that study was wildly successful. Um, it gained a lot of traction in a lot of different areas and really helped lead to make some progress on the front of telling the sustainability story for, for farmers and row crops. Um, and so based off of that success, we really wanted to build off that and continue that momentum. And we said, you know, what, what's the next logical step? Um, and dairy kind of emerged from that forefront. Um, we actually have a dairy equipment leadership group, which consists of um, executives from the major dairy companies like De Laval. Um, and they said, hey, you know, dairy really, in especially in mainstream media, doesn't always get the most positive messaging when there's really actually a gr- great story to tell, um, especially from this equipment standpoint. You know, when you talk, look at, you know, farm management practices, genetics, things like that. There's maybe a little bit more of a story there to tell. Um, but from the, that equipment standpoint, there was maybe a little bit of a gap. And so we wanted to really help fill that gap and then tell that whole whole story. Um, so as we began to go down that road um, and, and put this study together, we also worked um, with Dairy Farmers of America and National Milk Producers Federation um, so that we were representing the entire dairy industry, right? We didn't just want to represent you know, the equipment manufacturers, we wanted to make sure that we were taking in um, input from and telling the story of the farmers themselves um, so that, you know, we were representing everybody that's involved. Yeah, great points. And it, it does address like some impressive comparisons to dairy farming from from 2007. And when one thing that's really important to, to I guess, realize or, or understand, uh, especially people outside of the industry, is that Farmers often feel vilified, um, and I think it's more due to you know animal and and environmental extremists, right? It's not just not everybody thinks like that, but that is kind of the feeling that you get when you do talk to farmers, and often they don't want to talk about the successes just because you know it, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth being villains, right? For producing food for the world, it, it's just it's just a little bit crazy, right? But what you guys have really laid out is this comparison of how far we've come in just a few years. And it's it's really incredible. So one thing that really stood out to me is the amount of milk that can be produced uh, with nearly a million fewer cows. So how is that even possible? So I, I think I, I will take this one. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, the dairy industry, especially dairy farmers, are committed to sustainability, to the environment to their communities, to their cows, right? And in fact, they they have set uh, goals uh, for neutrality in terms of carbon neutrality by 2050 through the Innovation Center of U.S. Dairy and, and, and many other organizations, right? But they have made tremendous improvements. I mean, uh, we have increased milk production by 19% since 2007. We have reduced the feed utilized for that by 15%. We have reduced land use by 26%. Uh, 
Uh, mm -hmm. The greenhouse gas emissions have been reduced near 18%, uh, 17 point something, and, uh, and the water use reduced um, by 10%. So if, if we were to put this into context and, and, and make some water for, of an analysis, um, our, our production has continued to improve, we reduce the feed intake, uh, but we, we, we can do some really important numbers here. For example, if I was to put the, the, the production uh, or the reduction of feed by 15%, that, that equals to about 3,200 NFL football stadiums of amount wow. of feed uh, or less use on this. Or, or we have reduced the, the amount of cropland of the size of Maryland complete. Or, or the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by the same amount that would be produced by four million vehicles that are in the in the road every day, and um, and when we talk to water, water water is very difficult to measure, and it's a very difficult part of it, and and actually is one of the single most important feed ingredients and and nutrients for animals as well as for us, and we have reduced the amount of water uh, per year that could supply enough water to the whole New York City for two years. So what farmers are doing is fantastic. It's, it's a commitment to the environment. It's a commitment to feeding a, a world that continues to, work, to, to grow, that is a hungry world in desperate need for, for nutrient-dense foods. And, and just two weeks ago, we hit 8 billion people. And by 2050, we are going to be looking at about 9.4 billion people. And, and that, that means we have to increase the amount of food that we have to produce. Granted, we waste a lot of it, but I do believe that dairy and the nutrient density around the dairy and the way we are including technology and, and adding into the efficiency and the welfare of the animals and the, and the care for the environment is something to celebrate and to, to actually publish a little bit more about this. This is the, the strength of this report and, and this study is to better uh, explain this great story of dairy, but back it up with data, back it up with science and show the world that, that things are happening and are happening in a proper way at dairy level. And I think just to build, build off and kind of just reiterate what, what Fabian had said, I mean, at the end of the day, we're doing more with less. I mean, that's, I think that's really what this study points to. You know, we're, we're producing more milk with less environmental impact, with less feed usage, with less water usage, with less emissions output. Um, and, and that's really the story of the industry moving forward as well. I mean, when, when you look towards where are we going to go, how are we going to reach those numbers by 2050, and how are we going to feed this growing population while doing it sustainably, at the end of the day, it's just doing more with less. And that's really what some of these technologies allow farmers to do. Yeah, that's really incredible. And feed ration and quality is a great determinant of milk quality and yield. Uh, in modern modern technology, like, for example, forage har harvesters that have the ability to test forage as it's being harvest, harvested have made a really huge difference in providing like the, con the consistency of balanced ration for cows. So what are some of the other ways that technology has helped with feeding consistent with consistency and quality? Well, there, there's a lot to be discussed around this, this point of feeding te technologies. And, and it all starts by applying technology on how do we produce this feed? How do we bring nutrients 
and, and grow feed in appropriate matter in the right amounts of it and, and pick those and harvest those at the right moment and delivering those as well <clears throat> to the animals at the right <clears throat> amounts and the right ways to do. So, so if we were to really discuss technology, about 6% of this 25% or close to 27% increase in, in feed or, or in milk yields, 6% can be added to, to technology use. But, but in the <clears throat> feeding part is absolutely uh, incredible what we're doing today. And I would, I would say just to build off of what Fabian mentioned a little bit, and I think started to allude to, is technology, one of the things technology does outside of just allowing us to actually do things more efficiently is it's constantly gathering data. And then that data can be then taken back to make better decisions about how we grow our feed, how we harvest our feed, how we feed our animals. Um, and those gains just kind of start to snowball as you go, as you start to go down that path. Yeah, that makes sense. And then what about genetics? How far have we come in the last few decades in increasing efficiency of production by selecting genetic traits? And which traits have contributed the most to this increase in production? Well, the discussion of genetics is, is quite deep. And actually, I, I believe that we have not reached or, or uh, gained all the opportunities there. Um, we have learned a lot from genetics, the application of, of higher yields, but at the same time, <clears throat> genetics that give or, or add to the quality of feed, to the quantity of, of uh, production, to the, to the efficiency on how the animals are, are utilizing this feed that we're producing, that we're giving to them. And ultimately, uh, productivity is absolutely incredible. If we were to continue in the same path, we cows have the potential to go almost double the, quant the quantity of milk or efficiency of production of their they have today. But if we were to to push forward, um, I think there is a, a lot more potential. Now we have to balance that with uh, good animal care, good feed, and and more so. But genetically, uh, the potential is, is still there, and there is much more to to be found. Um, we continue to find. Um, parts uh, through genomic analysis in which we can determine animals' potential before we even get to the productivity side. And right. that way, we can make decisions, uh, faster decisions on how this animal will go through the value chain and how the productivity life of these animals will, will look like. And, and even extending that productivity life, depending on, on this data and this information and this genetics, that we're learning from. So there is so much more to learn. This is a, a great conversation, conversation that can go for, for our long, long, long interview. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Genetics is so fascinating. And oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I would maybe just add as well. I think, you know, the key part of the key to unlock, fully unlocking genetics is and not selling a broken record, but that data piece as well making sure we're feeding the cow the right amount, milk, you know, milking her the right amount, watering her the right amount, or even, you know, going into preventative health based off of things like activity monitors and those types of technologies that give us insight to the health of the cow so that we're being, you know, proactive rather than reactive. And all of those things, again, you know, play into, you know, truly unlocking that full, the full genetic potential of the animal. Great, great points. 
And, uh, you know, I remember back to when I was a kid and everyone had textile barns and think of the advances that have happened since those days um, with new rotaries and then with robotics and, and automated milkers, which is uh, really starting to be adopted uh, quite a lot now. And so how is that increased precision, precision, profitability, uh, and also cow comfort on the farm? So can you can you talk about that? Yeah, the, the implementation and the and the road of technology application, especially in the U.S., is is, is quite interesting. And and alongside the, this application, we have seen a continuous improvement uh, alongside the the animal care, the best practices, the productivity, the best ways we we apply uh, this data coming back and and reporting back to farmers and making decisions uh, about how we can best do these activities and, and which ones are best for the cow as much as for productivity. So it is quite important to, to, to see that the application of technology has driven uh, efficiency, have driven health, has driven uh, best practices, has driven a new level of technology and knowledge at, level, at the farm level. So the, the knowledge transfer and, and the, what is needed today for, for farmers to <clears throat> and, and their employees to address when, when interacting with these technologies is incredible. And the feedback that these technologies give, this instant feedback, so they can make best decisions for the animals, best decisions for their businesses, is, is, is right there. So this is what truly is dra- driving this, this change and driving this application. And farmers are starting to understand, okay, I can make these decisions a little faster um, we get into the point that today um, <clears throat> we have technologies that are preemptive health that are telling us that an animal might be getting sick before we see any clinical issues. So farmers can make decisions faster and reduce even um, the utilization of medications, antibiotics, and many other things. So what technology grants us is, is a better life for all involved, including cows, employees, farmers, everybody. And I think, I think that, that last point is really important. I, I think when you talk about something like that, you, you focus on the animal, right? But it really does. The farmer's quality of life, too, improves a, a great amount because, I mean, just if you look at it from just your day-to-day work, you know, it used to be you had to be there in the morning to milk the cow and there at night to milk the cow. Well, in this robotic system and some of them, some of them you can step away for maybe a day or so and you'll be fine. And, and you can actually take a little bit of time away from the farm to just focus on yourself or focus on something else. And, and so from that aspect as well, the farmer's quality of life, there's also a, story, a nice story to tell there. Yeah, those are excellent points because, you know, a lot of people don't want to get into farming because of that life, that demanding life. So, and especially if you can train good people on the equipment as well, uh, that does allow allow them to to step away a little bit. And you also touched on the on the data issue as well and and how how that helps with decision making. And there's massive amounts of data that are now collected on farm. Uh, so so what are some ways, some ways that the data does assist in decision making? And then how can a producer leverage all of this information coming in, but without becoming too overwhelmed? Yeah, it, it, smart systems is the best way to, to explain this. The, the way we are giving feedback back to the farmer, where it's not just a data point and, and just a bunch of numbers, but a way to make decisions. 
a way to, to take the next step on, on the next practice. If, if, it, if it's time for vaccinations, if it's time for a, a new treatment, if it is time for a, a taking an action because an animal, the system, the smart systems are telling us, well, this cow might not be walking as normal or, is, or this cow is not acting as normal or is not ruminating as, as she's used to do. You may want to go there and take a look at this animal and let the farmer make the decision. But the fact is that we're allowing the decision making to happen a lot faster. Right. This actually has tremendous influence in the in the well-being of the animal. So we're passing from, from these visual inspections to also having data uh, associated and making best decisions for all involved. And I would maybe just add, you know, I think you mentioned, you know, how do farmers handle this quantity of data that they're be get, being given because we, we're collecting it from all angles now. And I think it's just really important, you know, if a farmer is just starting to enter into this space, just focus on one area. You don't have to tackle it all at once. Focus on one area, get really good at that, and then maybe think about moving to the next step because otherwise you're just going to become overwhelmed and, and, and not know what to do with yourself. Yeah, good good advice. Yeah, just try try to pick one thing at a time and and slowly move forward and add. Then uh, that's great advice. And and how does uh, North America compare to other nations around the world in efficiency and profitability uh, of the industries? Well, uh, U.S. is single most efficient country around the world, and and, and in terms of uh, productivity, we're still ahead of of many, right? If not mm-hmm. in the top two. Um, the fact is that if if we were to have access to technologies in a faster way uh, in, in the U.S., we'd probably be much more ahead. And and even though we have such restrictions on, on the ways we integrate technology into the agriculture, and, and in this case, into dairy, um, and, and we are what we are doing, can you imagine if we were to integrate some other technologies some other uh, pieces to the equation that, that can lead us into the next level. And, and to be honest, uh, at to this point, we have picked all the low-hanging fruits. And it's this time, in, in, in this moment of time, we have to start looking at what are the next steps. And that deals with technology. And, and that next level technology is, is quite hard to get it into the U.S. Um, uh, just as a simple example, robotics weren't certified until a few years ago. So we are almost 35 years behind in the application of robotics into the dairy in the U.S., yet we are the most efficient. So can you imagine if, if we can if we move this, this ahead? And, and I think we are in a path of continuous improvement that, can, that will yield us uh, a lot more than what we are doing today. So it is quite exci- exciting. This conversation leads to, to a lot more policy. It leads to discussions about how and which technologies should come in. Uh, how do we control some of these things, but how do we apply a little bit faster? Farmers need this support. Farmers need this visibility for, for new technologies and, and make those accessible to, to them, both financially, but also through regulation and so much more. And so just to put a few numbers to what Fabian had said, you know, North American producers produce 15% of the world's milk with 4% of the cows. And over the last 60 or so years, we've improved our milk yield by about three and a half times compared to the rest of the world, which is only sitting at one and a half times. And all of this is still 
with relatively low adoption rates because it's a little bit more difficult to get technology over here than compared to other areas of the world. So just think about how much more room we still have to grow if we're doing all of this with still relatively low adoption rates. Yeah, for sure. And and the study does a really good job of, of that forecasting the potential future benefits as well. So what's on the horizon then? How much better can it actually get? And you both touched on this a little bit. And what are some of the goals that look attainable in the new in the near future? Uh, if, if we were to really think about this, there's a lot of space. In, in milk yield, um, we could expect uh, uh, 10% or more, 11% or so uh, mm-hmm. by 2030, uh, increase in, product, in productivity for animals, uh, tapping into that genetic potential of the animals and also the inclusion of, of new technologies. When it comes to feed, we could reduce up to 19% the, the feed required. Why? Because we know now how to feed properly and at the right time, as, as uh, Austin mentioned before, and tapping on the, on the genetic potential from the start for these animals. Land use, probably 10% or so less land use uh, as we reduce the amount of feed required. Um, and, and, and probably the one that is the most interest for many, probably about 20, 19, 20% uh, reduction of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, by then, uh, especially when we're talking about methane and technologies that are coming here um, and how to handle methane from, from manure all the way to the cow and, and enteric methane and so many other pieces, right? Nutrient management, so many pieces more. And water, uh, I would say, again, I, I believe water is quite difficult to measure and quite difficult mm-hmm. to, to analyze. But I think we can we can go even farther, uh, probably 4 to 5% as the study suggests. I think I think we have even farther more to go in in that, um, but but the opportunities are there, uh, and and we can continue on and on uh, with the ultimate goal of of becoming net zero, uh, as as the U.S. industry has has agreed, and 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 I think there 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 is the possibility to get there. There will have to be a lot more to 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 be implemented. Uh, there will have to be a, a agreement in some things. But I do believe that we have that potential to go and continue on. And so, you know, those numbers that Fabian mentioned are just looking out eight years. I mean, so if you look at what we've done over the last 15 years, you know, in some of these areas, we're doing more than we've done over the last 15 years, potentially in the next eight years. And those numbers, we're not saying that we have to get to, you know, 100% adoption rates or anything like that. That's just if we continue on the trend from the last 15 years or so, because the curve is just, it's going up and it's going, and we're going faster with more innovation and, and, and finally, you know, bringing this innovation and putting it in the hands of the farmers and starting to, you know, overcome some of those barriers to adoption. And I I know you, you had asked as well, you know, what's kind of the key to unlocking all this moving forward. I think the next frontier is going to continue to be data um, and, and just, figuring out ways to better leverage data on the farm and make and make better decisions as a result of it. Yeah, yeah, great points again. Um, and I think it's important too for producers and all of us in the industry to really kind of commit some of these numbers to memory so that when we do feel attacked, then we can very, you know, have have this data at our fingertips so that we can say, no, that's, you know, not true. Uh, and, and here are the real numbers. So I think it's it, this study that you've um, that you've put out is really great because it's bite size, 
um, bite-sized data that we can we can arm and have kind of in in our arsenal as people within the industry and and anybody that's uh, watching or listening will include that study in the show notes so you can you can link directly to it and take a look at it yourself and uh, and really just have maybe two or three of those numbers just just stored away in your head for those conversations where where you you just need something a, a real um real numbers to say look at how far we've come and that you know it isn't it isn't that animals are destroying the earth and and look at what we've done so far and and I think that's amazing and you guys did a great job on the study. Thank you. And I've Thank one you. last question for each of you. Uh why do you serve the egg industry? What's your greatest passion? What gets you up in the morning? And Fabian, do you want to start? Uh, absolutely. I just have this love and passion for cows. I just think they are incredible. Uh, and, and, and when you look at, at, the, at the community associated to their production and the families that are involved in this, it just drives this passion of, of understanding what is it that business looks like? Why is it going in this fashion? What are their challenges? How can, uh, as a whole, we can make all of this better? But yeah. what is most interesting to me is, is, is this incredible animal that we still don't completely understand that has a tremendous, uh, a tremendous potential. Actually, if, if we were to go back in history, cows are the mothers of humankind. And during the greatest times, that, that's what propel a lot of things that we are doing today and, and, and propel a lot of things. So I, I'm just terribly, um, I guess, curious about what else would happen in this industry. I am involved in agriculture. It's my life. It's my passion. It's, it's what uh, drives my family and, and everything I do. So anyways, cows, community, the planet, all this together is just so intriguing and, and fascinating. Great answer. And I, yeah, I don't know how I can follow that up much better, but um, I mean, so I, my grandpa used to tell me, you can take the, the farmer off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the farmer. And that's just 100% true. If you grow up in this industry, you have a passion and it follows you for the rest of your life. And I mean, just being able to, you know, tell the story about the, the men and women like myself and like my family, you know, 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now um, is, is extremely rewarding and, and being able to show and demonstrate that we're doing the right things. We haven't always done it perfect. And I don't think any farmers going to try to say we've always done it perfect, but to show that we, we take sustainability and the environment in our communities as a serious matter, um, I, I think is something we have to, we have to continue to do. Cause at the end of the day, the goal of any, of, any farmer, most farmers is to eventually hand that farm down. You know, most farmers want to see that pass on to the next generation and you're not going to do that if you're not sustainable. Um, and so just getting that message out there um, and letting people who haven't grown up in this industry know that um, I think is, is extremely important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That's really awesome. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you so much for your time and your passion and energy for, for this industry. Uh, great conversation. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who's watching or listening. If you want to learn more, uh, as I said before, the links are all uh, provided in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or AgFuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts and have a great day.
Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the ag brands you love and the ag brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com. Available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.